We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is Mean Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk. We'll talk about the kiss of death. Before the game, I was banging on about the team's confidence being at a, at a really high level after the whole City game and how we thrive off performances and, and how we're going to put in another great performance against Swansea. And um, it certainly wasn't to be. You know, I'm not the best place to talk about the game because I had to miss the second half due to work. Watched the first half, though, and it was very frustrating. By all accounts, we improved second half, couldn't find the breakthrough, and they scored a goal. Uh, so, not very happy about, about the result. It makes you realise, when you are unbeaten for a long time, and then you come across a defeat, it makes you feel a lot worse, given experience that feeling for a while. And um, it doesn't feel too great today. Even though, you know, bigger scheme of things, it doesn't really, really matter. If we were like three points off the top or something, or we were level with Chelsea with the same amount of games to go, God, that would really hurt. But, you know, uh, this is football. You can't win all your games, and um, it doesn't last forever. Um, yeah, I'm going to watch the second half. I'm going to hand you over to some guys who have watched the game and, and can fill you in with all the details. Oh, also, I'd like to send our apologies for the, um, the podcast not appearing on iTunes been a few issues I need to sort out and make sure that, that this one does appear on iTunes which I don't know yet because I haven't put it on iTunes yet so we'll see hopefully those issues will be resolved shortly and uh, yeah back to Man United 
Arsenal charitably provide cynical podcaster with reason to moan and complain. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast coming to you directly after Arsenal's uh, valiant effort to defeat Swansea at home. But once again, they proved to be the unvanquishable opponent for the Gunners. Uh, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Strongly recommend you do that. Been spewing more than my share of bollocks today, so be a perfect day to hit that block button and be done with me. Um, but thankfully, I have two uh, gentlemen along with me today who will have uh, much more interesting and sensible things to say than myself. The first of them is our returning guest, although I say returning because he wasn't here last time, but he is here this time, hence he is returning from the time he last appeared. His name is Paul. You can follow him on Twitter at Poznan in my pants. Uh, I guess it's been a while, so we'll clear up. That's not actually in my pants. It's in his pants. You have to read it as though you're him, Poznan in his pants, but his Twitter handle is Poznan in my pants. His name is Paul. He's on the show. Hello, Paul. Hello. Hello. Oh, all right. You have a cold, so you just adopted a different accent. Is that what we're doing today? Uh, yeah, that's what my cold does to me. Okay, why not? And I am delighted to have tactics expert and general brilliant economist and future doctor uh, and savior of humanity. Naveen, you can and must follow him on Twitter at NJM1211. Uh, correct, Naveen? That's correct. Yes. Yes, we can power through this one. Um, and we need to get through this intro as quickly as possible and get on and talking about the game because there's going to be a riveting discussion of what was a fascinating end-of-season encounter. Um, Naveen, as always, thank you for uh, taking the time to join us. Uh, no problem. All right. Well, it was Swansea. They beat us uh, in Wales. They beat us again. Um, frankly, they've kind of had the uh, the mojo over us. The I guess they call it the Indian sign in England. What would we call that here in the United States? Any thoughts? The mojo. Okay. The mojo. No, well, that's what I called it, so I nailed it. The mo. They that's the that's why mo. they call me a one-take wonder. Um, but... Uh, it's interesting. For the first time in his Arsenal career, Arsene Wenger named an unchanged side for the fifth straight time. Um, I'll start with you, Naveen. Do you think that naming an unchanged side five times in a row is, by definition, what a team should strive for? Or is it an argument that maybe you're not showing the tactical flexibility needed? And would you have changed today either for tactical reasons or maybe just to freshen up the side a little bit? I, I think as of now... With, if you're going to play Coughlin in midfield, I think you're kind of a little hamstrung in how you can go about building the rest of the team because for all of the positives that he has brought, right, he is still a pretty limited player. He's what I'd call like a static specialist, right? Someone who has a, a de, like a defined set of skills and a limited set of skills and can only do that. So the, the obvious counter to that would be like Sergio Busquets. He's a really talented footballer. He can play a bunch of midfield roles. But he but played... also, let's not forget a spectacular cunt. <laughs> okay, just, just making sure that we clarify that. But keep going, as you were. You know, he, has, he, 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 he specializes at a given moment in time to do whatever his team needs him to do. It's not because he's limited, but because he chooses to do so. Mm-hmm. And because Coughlin's limited, particularly in the build-up play against a team playing in a low block, I think you're kind of forced into uh, naming a certain type of lineup, uh, one that involves playing Ramsey on the right, for example, uh, in order to kind of help counteract that. And I think that's just what Wenger's going on. Because I think, I think finishing second 
is important to him. And I think it would be nice to finish second or third and not. Well, it must be important to him because it's not going to happen anymore. So that's how you know it must have been important to him. (laughs) Um, I mean, as far as not just a tactical standpoint, but Paul, from a uh, just vitality and hunger standpoint, you know, I know those are sort of intangibles, but do you think there may have been an argument? Look, we go to Old Trafford next weekend. The end of the season is nearing. The cup final is approaching. Could this potentially at home have been one of those games where some of the players who've been playing week in, week out, their intensity drops? And would you have freshened up the side just from an an intensity standpoint? So, um, yes and no. So if you had brought me into this blind and then told me that the game I was watching was after everything had been decided by for both teams in the season... I'd have said, ah, yeah, I can sense that. There's just a little bit of edge off it, almost from both sides. So, you know, it it shouldn't matter. And professionals and blah, blah, blah. And I genuinely think they did everything in their power to come out f- full full guns. Mm-hmm. I just think they were missing that, that the 5% that meant that whoever you want to pick on, Alexis in front of goal didn't bury it. Walcott didn't. Well, you know, you can come up with other reasons for Walcott because he hasn't been on the pitch generally, right. but yep. etc. So that's one aspect of it. The other aspect, if I'm the coach is, and I'm worried about that before the game, that's why I don't change the team. If I start making rotations, it starts feels like we're getting ready to head off for summer. Mm-hmm. So I could see him, you know, hitting back with, listen, you ungrateful bastards. The reason I played an unchanged team was because these guys are in the groove. They're winning, changing the team, bringing in two or three subs to freshen it up also signals the, hey, you know, we kind of got things under control now. Let's kind of do things more creatively, also known as summer's coming. So uh, I think it's a tough one. It's all 2020 hindsight at this stage. I expected rotations for sure, especially after his comments uh, earlier in the week. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought we'd see one or two. Uh, we didn't see them. Um, there's, re- to be honest, in, from a, a freshness standpoint, I still don't think there's any real excuse because we were fresh enough last time, and we've had a week off, and we're pros, and most of these guys are going to have to play in the FA Cup final, so they better better not be getting too stale. Yeah, I, I think the the other thing for me is it is a little rich as an Arsenal supporter to complain about being able to name an unchanged side. Um, I think the last two seasons in particular, um, certainly the beginning of this season and the second half of last season, if we had been able to name an unchanged side more regularly, we may well, might well have won a title or, or at the very least challenged all the way to the end. Um, Naveen, one thing that I noticed... Uh, as the game started is there's a lot of fouling from Swansea. They were sitting deep, but then they would they would press us as we came into the midfield and they were fouling. And there were a lot of hard fouls early that weren't given as yellow cards. Do you think that became important as the match wore on in that they kind of took turns fouling us in the buildup so that we didn't develop a rhythm, we couldn't move the ball quickly and slickly, and that the failure of the referee to award those or show those yellow cards, which probably should have been shown on, on many occasions, uh, Shelby comes to mind for one of them. Do you think that that sort of helped Swansea prevent us from get, getting into a rhythm? Or do you think it's just a case of the ball, we weren't moving the ball fast enough and there was just a lethargy about our play in general? So, yeah, the Shelby tackle on Alexis was particular. Like, that should have... 
that was kind of nuts how he didn't get a there yellow. There were several early on, I thought, that, that should have been yellows. I mean, within the first 15 minutes. Yeah, and, you know, if you're going to play particularly in a deep defensive block, you kind of have to show, you have to be aggressive, particularly when you're, when you're, when the ball moves into these dangerous central areas, right? Because if you're going to concede all that space, right, you have to, you have to, once the ball enters a really dangerous area, you have to do your best to kind of choke off any, any kind of creativity at all in those areas. So it helps, right? If the, if the referee kind of swallows, swallows a whistle, uh, because it allows you to get away with, conceding all that space because you can kind of thug it up when you need to but at the same time like the ball the ball didn't move nearly as well as it should have right you can you can have a physical you know you can have a physical midfield and try and tackle people but if you're tackling air it it doesn't matter um so i mean it, it, it it's like like it often is it's a combination of 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 those two but i i would more blame, you know, our poor ball, ball circulation, our inability to kind of move move Swansea than uh, even though, you know, them getting away with some pretty heinous tackles in the beginning certainly helped them. Yeah, I, I guess my my feeling about the tackling is just that, you know, when a game starts and we've been scoring a lot of early goals and taking a lot of early leads and when you start the game and you pin a team back and you're really on top of them and you're moving the ball quickly – you can develop a, a real confidence, and I thought Swansea used early tactical fouling and some hard fouling to break up any rhythm we could get into early, and I thought that sort of set us into this kind of lethargic stop-start mode in the first half, and I'm not, I'm not taking the responsibility of the burden off of us to have that intensity and that urgency, but I, I certainly think that some of those fouls played a part. Um, yeah, it's a very South American way of playing football. To kind of junk it up and to turn it into a game of like static moments instead of a, a fluid kind of game in which, you know, the the you know the ability for us to kind of pass and move would actually well come then in front of it more. as a warrior against English football, it must have delighted you to see <laughs> South American football on display. Um, uh, Paul, so one of the things that I I think has become a talking point on this podcast and on you know on Twitter and the interweb on blogs is how brilliant Coughlin is, but also what we lose by having him in the side. And I, I know Naveen will want to talk about this a little bit too. So Naveen, we'll come back to you on this in a moment, but I think I'm ready to acknowledge that Francis Coughlin is a very limited football player and he is great at the defensive side of the game, but he really isn't someone who has the ball handling and distribution abilities that you you need, I think, in games where you're going to be on the front foot for long stretches. Um, Arsene Menger paid him sort of an interesting backhanded compliment. I was reading an article about him this week where he basically said, you know, once he focused on what he's good at, he started to become a good player. And, you know, I think it was it was a way of saying, you know, basically once he realized he doesn't have the skills to to be a part of the attacking aspect of the game. Did you feel that today was a really good example of why we might need a more ball-playing defensive midfielder, at least in some games than Coughlin, and where we may be missing Arteta, or why we need a Schneiderlin, because when you're on the front foot for those long stretches, you can't afford to have a member of the midfield that is not a creative influence? Yeah, I think there's definitely mileage to that, except that we had so many others on the field. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we were arranged around them in a semicircle, and to be fair, I mean, Mertesacker 
has been really, really good from a distribution uh, and from a vision standpoint. He's almost, in those kinds of games for much of it, he's almost like an extra midfielder. So, yes, would you like a Chabby in there instead of a, a Coquelin? Sure. But outside of a, a world-class defense-splitting player, I'm not sure. Coquelin isn't that bad. He's just not, he's just not an improvement over anybody else who's going ha- right. to get the ball. He's maybe a slight step back. He still does some good things. He's unpredictable. He breaks the lines with pace and strength, so he gives you something else. So, you know, I might subtract a quarter of a player from from an attacking standpoint, but I'm not willing to downgrade him to, you know, he's a complete loss every time he gets the ball and he needs to pass it on. No, I I mean, he can protect the ball. He can protect the ball, but one thing I notice, too, is when he does carry it forward, then he really struggles to distribute. When he's dribbling and breaking the lines, as you said, carrying the ball forward, he really struggles to find the right man at that point. And I think some of that may be the nervousness about the space he's leaving exposed behind him because he knows that's really his first responsibility. Um, Naveen, I, I know that you particularly are concerned about the limitations of Coughlin as a player. What did you make of him today? And in general, what do you think we... We know what we gain with him on the pitch, and no one is taking away how important that has been. What do you think we lose having him on the pitch, especially in a game like today where you have 70% possession? Well, it, it just forces you to become a little less vertical, right, in your ability to kind of break line after line. So so the way Wenger likes to play is he likes to have center backs kind of initiate... Uh, essentially the advancement of of the football. And what he likes is he likes his holding midfielder, particularly Arteta, to kind of position himself in a way to kind of draw defenders away from passing lanes. So making it as easy as possible for, say, Mertesacker to pass directly into Cazorla or Ozo or Ramsey. Um, And then for for those guys to be able to break those lines before the opponent can kind of regroup after that initial breakdown. But what you saw a lot of was... Ramsey having to drop deep or Ozil having to drop deep in order to essentially work around Coquelin. So that's that's what you're really giving up is you're giving up not I mean look he he underweights and he overweights a lot of passes his passing isn't great it's not you know but that's not the real issue the real issue is what he does out of possession it's his inability it, it takes a real high level of intelligence to understand how to position yourself to make all the other players around you better and that's yes, to, to, to take that step there. forward into a space or backward out of a space that moves the defender and gives that player on the ball a passing lane they wouldn't otherwise have. Right, and that's, that's, that's always my biggest issue is you just kind of have – you have a passenger there when he's, when he's out of possession but the team's in possession. You have to kind of work your way around that. So it's not a surprise to me that, you know – the interesting thing is like Ramsey is actually really good at these things. So Ramsey is actually has like all the characteristics that you'd want in a player at the deepest midfield position, but only when Arsenal have possession. Mm-hmm. So when when they can when can so they make, when they can do the Cazorla Ramsey kind of central pairing, the build up play becomes actually really good. And you saw it like you know you saw it later in the match where with that like once Coughlin was gone and Ramsey and Cazorla and Wilshire and Ozo were just kind of free to rotate without having to play around someone, but like essentially having the ability to have one more player higher up the pitch, you know, the chances came a lot easier. And that's, that's going to be the big issue. And this is why we probably need to buy someone, I think, um, 
someone maybe of a Schneiderlin or a you know a Gundogan or someone of that ilk, someone who can or a James Milner. Eh? Can I tempt you with a James no. Milner? No. <laughs> I don't need like oh my god the thought of James Milner and like Jack Wilshire playing together in central midfield and kind of running all over the place and just kind of being who knows where. I would but, be really interesting but, to see Liverpool sign him and play. But with the pace and the power, Naveen. You're not thinking about pace and power. Come on. Um, let's. Let's I go over to, to you. Take another drink after that. Yeah, one. <laughs> yeah. Every time you hear "pace and power," it's a drinking game. You have to drink. Um, uh, Paul, one of the things that is, I think, debatable right now is what we gain and what we lose from having Ramsey starting out wide, and with Alexis wanting to cut inside and have the ball played to his feet, and with Ramsey wanting to do the same, there isn't a lot of width. Now, I know Naveen will say playing narrow isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world, and we'll let him speak for himself because. Uh, he's quite capable, but Paul was today for you um, in any way down to a lack of width. Do you think that having a natural wide player who stays wide and stretches the stretches the defense out a little so they can't be as compact would have been helpful today? I think width is a team game. Mm-hmm. Now you and I both like Theo, uh, though people would debate, you know, these days whether he stays wide or he. You know, he's always cutting into the middle, but he starts from out wide and he gives a threat outside. So, But he's not yet in the form of his life. Um, and uh, and really the point I wanted to make was width is a team game, just like defending is. So, you know, we, we've all seen the fullbacks push on. They can push on when they're confident in the team and when we have control and we have possession. And so Ramsey coming inside is not the worst thing. Um, it doesn't uh, block us having width. Um, that said, we weren't particularly good at, at generating width, at least in the first half. In fact, mm-hmm. about the first half, as the great Maharishi Mahesh once said, not much can be said. Yeah, and um, that is a classic quote. That is yeah. that is one you got you want to break out often. I mean... Um, do you, do you think, and, and we'll get to the second half in a minute, but do, do you think in general we were as poor as the result? I mean, I know we dominated the game, but there's always going to be negativity when you lose. You know, I think about Nacho Monreal had a chance, Theo had a chance, Alexis had a chance, the finishing was poor, Giroud had a snapshot, Theo had a, a, a deflected cross so that he tipped. Fabianski, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah, I mean... I actually I thought Monreal could have had a could have had a um could have had a uh penalty if he hadn't gotten his shot away when he got in uh behind their back four. Well, first let me ask you this, Paul. I mean I'll let you ask this and then Naveen, I want to get your thoughts on with Paul was was this a poor performance or is this one of those cases almost like United versus West Brom the other day where when teams defend very deep especially if they're very committed and, and, and you know, a, a decently well-organized team, you're not always going to break practice. them down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what do you think? Were, were we poor or did we just face a, a lock that we weren't quite able to pick today? So we, well, uh, I'd say I'll go with the, we were poor with the caveat that these are very narrow margins, just a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And you, you start tearing them apart. So it's always, that's the problem. It's like you can throw the baby out with the bathwater, but I think the issue today was we were that poor, and especially in the final, you couldn't even say the final third. The final sixth. The final sixth. 
because uh, we eventually made the chances we needed where we could have won it, and you would have said we deserved it. Well, I, I mean, look, know, we, I, I know the yeah. XG is something I break out a lot, but the XG yeah, on this game had us you know, dominating this game. Now, yeah. my argument would be the XG had us dominating this game, but this game is a little bit indicative of another thing we're missing, which is maybe we still don't have that one player who you trust to come up with a goal regularly. I, you know, I'm not convinced we have the one goal-scoring guy we need our Costa, our... And that was a bit my feeling today. Yeah, I'm our Aguero. The yeah. Um, uh, all right, Naveen, so you don't mind narrow play. What do you make of Ramsey being deployed wide? Do you think this is how Wenger's going to want to play going forward and in the next season? Do you think that hurt us today, or do you think it's just a case of uh, not moving the ball fast enough and not converting the chances when they fell? So as long as Coquelin's going to be our holding midfielder, I I think Ramsey's probably you're gonna find a Benger's gonna find a way to put Ozil, Kazorla, and Ramsey on the field at all times because he needs to have people who can drop deep, as many different options who can drop deep and contribute to the build up play. Otherwise, you know, if you let's say you played Theo instead of Ramsey, you're relying a lot on Kazorla to kind of do everything mm-hmm. in the build up. Or you're requiring Mesut Ozil to kind of come deep and then you know, you're left, you know, without like maybe, you know, one of the best players in the world in the final third at picking out a controlling tempo or picking out the right pass. Like, you know, he's 25 meters from where you want him to be. Right. Mm -hmm. So as I see why he wants Ramsey on the right for that reason, to kind of have (laughs) this, another option, another midfielder essentially rotate in the buildup, especially against a team that's going to defend deep. Whether that continues into next season is going to be more a product of who goes, who stays, um, or who goes, who stays, and who comes in, right? Uh, so I don't know. I'd, I'd like to see him in a central midfield because he is so good at build-up play. I'd like to see him in a central midfield role with Kazorla and a holding midfielder and kind of have Ozo ahead of that trio, with that trio kind of holding things down, allowing you know, the likes of Sanchez, Ozil... Giroud, whoever, to kind of stay up in more dangerous attacking areas. So I, I mean, I'm fine. I'm fine with it. I'm not clamoring for Theo. <laughs> I'm not clamoring for Theo to play mm-hmm. uh, because you know I want some inside forward on the right or something like that. Uh, Would you say that that player is at the club currently? The that player, player, the player that you'd like in that position. On the on the right, um, I don't know. It's interesting what you can do on the right if you think Bayerin is. If you really want to like let Bayerin loose on the right those, side, those are actually L's in the middle of his name, so it's it's Bellerin. Is it Bellerin? See the no, Spanish. No, but but we're not a podcast that says Cathorla, and we're not a podcast that says Bayerin. We're not a podcast that says Bayerin. Yeah. Okay. We've got, got a it. very Islington following on this podcast. Yeah. So. I'm not. I'm not eating. Uh, I'm not eating. Um, uh, what's paella? You're eating Nando's. What's that cheese? That the, Manchego. I'm not sitting here eating Manchego <laughs> or anything, or you know, drinking Spanish port. You can just call him Bellerin. Yeah. All right. So so if you want if you want to give Bellerin the kind of Danny Alves role where he's essentially the one providing width on the right. Um. Then you have a lot of options on what you can do with that right-sided player. Um, 
you could buy a left-sided player and put Sanchez there. You could see what Ox could do. Maybe Ox could play that kind of role where he kind of comes into midfield um, from the right. I don't know if the option if if that option's really revealed itself. I mean, obviously Wenger. I assume because you haven't named him, you don't think it's Danny Welbeck. Danny Welbeck's an interesting option if you want to play a high pressing game because I think he's his he's got pretty intelligent movement from from wide areas into attacking positions, and, and that's how you'd like to see us play. That is how I'd like to see us play. I just wish, like, I mean, I got to see him like get back to being healthy, but the you always have to deal with the realization that. Giroud's probably penciled himself in no matter what with Wenger. And then there's the the dread that Wilshire, when healthy, will find a way to pencil himself in. We're going to come to Wilshire. Let's get to Giroud. <laughs> Paul, since Thierry Henry, fairly or unfairly criticized him, Giroud has kind of gone into a little micro mini slump. Is he regressing to the mean? Was the form he was in for about two and a half, three months there an outlying example of you know his his best play? Uh, what do you make of how Giroud's playing right now? And, and what do you make of the fact that when he's been, he's been taken off in the second half of both of mm. these games, um, mm. you know, in favor of Theo, he, is the manager, especially today when we actually needed a goal, the whole game is mm. different because we didn't need anything. Is the manager just kind of looking to see how we can function with a smaller, more mobile front line? Or do you think it's just purely trying to find a way to get other players in? And, and what do you make of how Giroud played today in particular? Well, unfortunately, most of his minutes were in that first half about which not much can be said, as the great Maharishi Mahesh said. God, I wish I could remember that quote when I need it. Yeah. I know. And so it's it's a bit tough on poor old Ollie, because uh, just when the game was turning into the kind of game that Ollie should be standing in the middle of our box for, uh, he was off on the sidelines and Theo was there. We put a lot of crosses into the box with Theo in the game. <laughs> yeah, and... Would I have liked to have seen Theo on? I think I would have brought... I don't know who I would have taken off as the only slight problem I have. I would have kept Ali on, put Theo on, over on the right just to scare them. Because the game was opening up quite nicely. That might have closed it down, mind you. Um, and uh, I would have... Uh, you know, I thought Jack did really well when he came on. He came on on the right, but quickly moved to the left. And then there was fluid interchange. He was basically on one of the wings or the other. So... You know, in the bigger point, I think it's too small a sample size because it's only a couple of games since Thierry stuck the fucking knife in his back and mm. chest and then went around the back a second time to to do him in. Mm. That will not have gone down well, I don't think, on uh, at at Colney when uh, when Thierry says, "Hey, Arson, do you mind if I hang out with your squad and get a little fitness training over the summer because I want to get back in the swing of things." I think that's all going to be a little bit icy and not very positive. So I don't think that was Thierry's brightest move, what with them all being French. And well, the, pro- the problem for Thierry is if he's going to be a pundit, he's going to have to say some divisive things. He's going to have to make some you know, sort of incendiary comments to get noticed and keep the press off his back. And you know, they've accused him of being a boring pundit. And so well, yeah, from what I've that. heard, he needs to actually provide – I haven't seen him as a pundit on Sky, but I've heard he needs to actually start providing some insight. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, obviously Gary Neville is the ideal example of how you can provide insight without having to necessarily just tear players to pieces. Um, I th- the one thing I'd say in that is he could attack, you know, let's pick something, Ozil. He could attack, attack Sanchez. He could attack uh, anybody. You attack a Frenchie, that'll never be forgotten. No. Yeah. 
inside, not probably not by the manager. But I mean, he's the manager is pretty mature, but he won't forget it. It will never be forgotten by Ali because Thierry Henry is a legend, and it will never be forgotten in French media or on French television. So, uh, you know, maybe he knew what he was doing, but I, I'm not so sure about it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I mean, as far as his performance, though, I mean, Naveen, for you, is Giroud, you know, still just you're fine with him playing there? Decent enough option as long as we have the quality around him. I mean, are are we missing that? that lethal predatory striker still in your mind? So, so like someone like Miguel Delaney is going to always say that, right? He's a seven out of 10 striker for it from the time he signed or whatever like that, which is amazing. Cause I think he's improved a lot. So he clearly has improved. It's a very I mean, you can't seven out of 10. Yeah. You can't compare the form he was in when he first arrived in the form he's in now and say he's the same player. Right. But and I think, I don't know who's available. So that's what you got to think of, right? It's it's all fine and well to say we need someone better than Drew. I'll take, you know, Lionel Messi is willing to play for Arsenal. Sure, sure. I'll, I'd love to have him. Uh, I've <laughs> heard he can't do it on a wet Saturday afternoon in Stoke, though. Sure, so, yeah. sure. I guess, I, I mean, look, I'll take that. I'll take it. If, 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 if that one game a year, okay. But, uh, <laughs> but I don't know who you could get to replace him, right? What's, you know, if you have to spend 60, 70 million to try and get... In, in your mind, up. is the solution adding more goals at another position? Maybe that, that right, that right inside or forward adding position. more control, right? Yeah. Or adding more control in other areas, right? So having a midfield, a midfield, maybe a midfield trio that can kind of dictate a match much better without and and allow your your star players like Alexis Sanchez and you know Mesut Ozil to stay higher up the pitch. Right, so they can be in more goal-scoring positions more of the time instead of having to work so hard to try and bring the team into those areas. So there, I mean, there are a bunch of ways to kind of create team goals. You, you could, you know, a better control also leads to probably less goals conceded. So I'm fine with Giroud being our striker. I'm let I you know because I just don't see where what the alternative would be unless you're willing to. I don't know. If Manchester City want to do a massive rebuild, I guess Sergio Aguero would be would probably would possibly be up for grabs because he's their like only saleable asset. But, you know, you'd have to spend like 60, 70 million and that's just not going to happen for a dude who's that injury prone. So I don't know what when people when people complain about Giroud, like what is their alternative? You don't have to you don't have to say people. You can say you. That, that's fine. <laughs> yes, Elliot. When you complain about Giroud, who do you want on the team? <laughs> well, you mentioned Messi and Aguero. I think that'd be a good start, at least. Um, if you can add Bale and Royce, I think you're on to something. Um, well, okay. So, and and to be fair, I don't think Giroud was necessarily what was what was not working today. I, I think the first half, not a lot was working. The second half, there were chances and they weren't converted. Um, Paul. Let's talk about the star players, so to speak, today. Let's talk about Alexis and Ozil. Two questions for you. Have Has the Premier League s- sort of figured Alexis out a little bit, that shimmy and shifted onto his right and try to cut inside move? Um, and as far as Ozil, as brilliant as he's been, and he has been brilliant, is it maybe a little worrying that he's not someone who's going to score a goal or make the deeper run in the box often enough and so we might be just short goal scoring options, especially given that we're, we're playing without really an, an attacking wide forward in, in Ramsey 
I, I guess the, the two questions I'm asking you, as far as like what you saw today from from Alexis and Ozil, do you think maybe there's there's some predictability to Alexis' game, and do you, do you wish that Ozil would occasionally try to see himself as more of a goal scoring option? So working back from Ozil, there's certainly a couple of times today I had that feeling of, oh go Ozil, oh he won't go any further than there because he's on the edge of the box, he'll pass. When I wanted him to, you know, put the knife all the way in. Yeah. And it is frustrating. Uh, I would imagine he has a logic that if your mind is tuned to finding a better option, you will almost always find a better option. And, and that's just where he lives. And we're just going to have, have to live with that. He will always look, rather than to shoot, to find a guy in an even better position to shoot and to divert 100% of his energies into giving him, him the perfect pass. And we'll have to live with it. Mm-hmm. Um with Alexis, I remember playing, you know, playing table football or what do you guys call it, foosball or whatever. Foosball, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Playing against somebody who has this brilliant flick. You know the way they do it, they do it and they got the ball and they, you know what they're going to do. They're going to flick it from that guy over yeah, to that guy. Yeah, you can't guy. stop it. It's the, it's the Lionel Messi, stop. Iron it's Robin the shift. Robin, yeah. Yeah, the Iron Robin shift <laughs> on your left foot, but you can't stop it anyway. <laughs> and Alexis's shimmy does two things. It does the obvious thing. We've seen it in action in attack. But his his lateral movement is just off the charts, and I think it's why he's so such a good presser because he's he's not the you know he's fast, but he's not the fastest. He harries, but the reason he's so much better than anybody else is they jink left or right. He jinks left or right faster than they did. And yeah, he's got that low the... center of gravity, and he and he can he can kind of move himself laterally very very quickly. Yeah, and the spring that that flick to one side or the other. Is is why he's so effective as a presser. So uh, I I wouldn't read too much into his, if you like, second milli, mini lull of the season as people haven't figured him out. Yeah, and I don't I, think I, he played poorly, by the way. I I just uh, think maybe he's not bamboozling defenses the way he did when he first arrived. I think the problem was, as always, when they figured out your main guy, whether it's Messi. Or it's Sanchez, it's because you haven't given them enough other shit to be bothered about, other players doing things. Point. Yeah, I mean, he didn't have a lot of space today. What about right. you, Naveen? And I mean, what, what do you make of, of, you know, Alexis's performance today and in general? I mean, do you think that maybe there's just a hint of predictability about it? I mean, I think there was a little bit of a, a hint of predictability to the whole side in terms of usually you score goals by creating misdirection in the sense that. If you start an attack on the left, you're usually looking to score on the right. If you start, if you if you move the ball really deep on the pitch, you're looking to cut it back. Or if you're kind of keeping the ball deep, you're looking to hit it long. You're always trying to get the defense to kind of flow in the in a direction, and then get them to go the other way. And we didn't, particularly in the first half, Swansea didn't really have to 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 move too much. We didn't have to force them to a side. So. A player like Alexis Sanchez, yeah, he's fine in terms of breaking a defender down one on one, but if if you get him that ball where Swansea's flowing, let's say, to the right side because you have the ball on the left side and you swing it to the left and all of a sudden he finds himself one-on-one where he beats a guy and he can take a clean shot on goal, that's a lot more effective than, you know, okay, we're going to build it down the left. Oh, here, Alexis with the ball. He's going to dribble at some guys. Oh, he beats one. Oh, another comes around and there, it's a turnover. Um, that's, that's the issue. Like, you can't ask... Only Messi, really, you can ask to like, dribble through eight players and just yeah. every single time and just be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's just what he does. 
Um, so you have to you have to use you have to use the team to kind of get your players into those positions where they can shine. I just didn't think we did that very well in the first half at all. Yeah, I think that's similar to, to what Paul was saying. I mean, well, the second half things picked up. I mean, there were a lot of sort of half chances, and our finishing wasn't really there today. But I, I'm most curious about your thoughts at the point of the game where Theo and Jack were on. Jack isn't one of your favorites, Naveen, to say the <laughs> least. Um, you know, people were really excited about his energetic performance against Hull, but that was probably an already beaten and very weary Hull side. What did you make of his performance today? And maybe you can just sort of tell people who aren't familiar with your idea. What, what is it that annoys you about Jack generally, and what did you think of what you saw from him when he was on the pitch today? So, I mean, my issue with Jack comes down to the fact that he's very... How can I say this? He's very Roy of Rovers. He's very... He wants to, he wants to dribble through three or four players and then make, you know... Or well, usually he doesn't make the pass. Usually ends up running into a fifth. But he wants to kind of take the team on his back, a la Steven Gerrard or something like that. Essentially, he, he's Gerrard wannabe, who I don't think has like the physical attributes that Gerrard had to allow him to kind of do what you know to allow to do, that allowed Gerrard to do what he did from what like oh five to oh nine or oh seven. Um, and that's that's a problem because that kind of individualistic kind of play without regard for, for, for the whole nature of the game, for, for the nature of, you know, the 22 players, the ball, the situation. I mean, that's problematic where, you know, so I say Ramsey is amazing in the buildup in terms of what he does with his positioning. Wilshire's kind of thing is just come deep for the ball and then just try and beat a couple guys. He did. Okay. Like, I mean, he wasn't like terrible. Like I, like I said, the, the bigger thing I think for me was, Cochlin coming off kind of allowed the ball to move more freely instead of thinking, where is my passing option going? The ball's just moving to whoever's in space because you don't have to worry about, oh, we're trying, you know, we, ah, I shouldn't, I probably shouldn't pass it to that guy, you know, because he can't really do much with it. Or he's in a situation where, well, if this guy applies a little pressure, he's in some trouble. There's a greater trust, I, you know, I think when Wilshire, with Wilshire on the ball than, than with Cochlin, which allowed for understandably, a little... yeah, yeah, but you know when you you see it, the the one footedness kind of irked me a little bit because you there was an opportunity I think when Theo cut it back onto Wilshire's right foot and he could have taken a pretty like a Tony Cruz type shot from the top of the box or something like that. And you just you know he's not going to take that because he's not going to use his right foot in that in in that sense. Or anytime he's down the left, he usually wants to go to the byline and hit a rather horizontal cross, which I'm not a fan of. I'm a fan of cutbacks. I'm a fan of crosses that have some kind of vertical dimension to them. But those those horizontal crosses, especially with no Giroud there, it just that, those are wastes of possession to me. Yeah. So we, we did a lot of that too today. I mean, the second yeah. half, we got a lot, into a lot of decent wide positions, but really didn't have the targets uh, to do much with it. So, you know, those were kind of wasted possessions. But what about, uh, what, what about Theo in the second half? I mean, he... He got nearly kind of sort of on the end of a lot of moves, but it never really looked like he was very natural in that that central position, especially as we were starting to, to play more crosses into the box. I mean, it's not really his game, right, to kind of play. So Theo does, well, he hasn't finished very well in a while, but Theo's normal game is 
run off the shoulder of the last defender and get run, exactly it's run off the shoulder of the last defender get the ball in space and then and shoot because he's not he doesn't round keepers he doesn't dribble very well he's not a great dribbler or anything like that but it's to sh- it's to shoot and to run and if you have a lack of offside space to run into right and all the space is onside space essentially because you're defending so deep um and your particularly your back line is so deep like his ability to kind of find those kind of weird pockets of space in front of the backboard and then do damage is it's not really there right he's not he's not going to do that for you right. and that's that's the issue is that it's 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 actually kind of interest it's kind of weird to find a situation that fits Theo it's almost like the best situation for Theo is a two or more goal lead in which the opponent is chasing a match because if it's a one goal lead you you don't have to worry as much about the defensive liability that he is right i'd rather bring on a Danny Welbeck or something like that in that case but if it's two nothing then maybe you know you, yeah, you but at that point, you're sort of that. into the Podolsky zone of usability. <laughs> so well, I don't I, you know. I never wanted to say that about Theo. Oh, my gosh. That feels so terrible. But, but that, like... that is kind of what you've just described. <laughs> Paul, all right, go ahead. Now that Naveen is savage, Theo and Jack, they're two players you've got a lot of time Sorry. for. Go ahead, and, go ahead and make the case for them in this game, or at least what you thought they added. I mean, because to be fair, we were a much better side in the second half. And although it was the second half where we conceded and ultimately lost, and we'll get to that very quickly, but it was the second half where we most looked like we might actually do what was needed to win. What do you think they sure. – let's, let's frame this in the positive. What do you think they added to the side in the second half that we were missing in the first? Well, Jack was really good. And I wouldn't take away from Naveen's overall criticism – Um, I think it applies more when he plays in a different position today. He was very good on the left. A lot of the attacking threat came from there. Um, You know, uh, it it seemed a lot of the menace, the incoming balls. uh, Yes, we could have done for with Giroud instead of Theo in the six yard box, but Jesus just get a toe on it. Um, So, uh, you know, there's not much I can say about Jack of the negative variety today. But on the other hand, he wasn't exactly standing in the Steven Gerrard spot for the game, mm-hmm. banging up and down. In the long term, to judge Jack when he hasn't been fit, um, you know, uh, in a way he can't defend himself, and I won't be able to defend him till he has a number of breakout games fully fit uh, over a period of time. And I think we will see him beating three and four people. Uh, putting the fear of God into the other team, which creates, like you see with a team when their goalkeeper gets upended two or three times, they get rattled as a team. The same thing happens when somebody like a Jack Wiltshire goes waltzing through their team once or twice. Until someone uh, puts in a crunching tackle and his ankles but, stop but that's, out for six weeks. That's the other issue. The other issue is <laughs> him staying fit. And, you know, there's not much, either he can stay fit or he can't. Do- um and it's a bit the same with Theo until he's match fit and playing and kind of in the run of things. Again, it's just that, you know, there's only so much you can pick on them for at this point. In If you talk about the actual specific game, you know, Theo contributed little or nothing, but I don't think it was ideal. Uh, I think Arson made a mistake in bringing him on and putting him in instead of Giro. And I think Jack played well. Given yeah. the limits of his role. Yeah, I, I was. So, I mean, the reality is that if he could do it over again, I'm sure Arsene might have kept Giroud on and maybe yeah. just 
uh, added another attacker. But the, the the interesting thing with Jack is I think what he suffers from more than anything is just the lack of the flexibility that some of the other players around him have. I mean, Santi Cazorla can play wide and he can play the 10, but he's also shown he can play a, a, de- a center midfield, de- you know, deep-lying center midfielder. Uh, Ramsey can play all over the pitch. Wilshire wears the 10 shirt for a reason. It's really the only position that suits him. Because, yes, he can beat two or three men off the dribble, but if he does that coming from a deep position, you can't beat two or three men every time. If you lose the ball there, you put your team in a very vulnerable position on the counterattack. Um, Walcott does have a good eye for those little passes on the edge of the box, as we'll remember from the wonder goal he's helped uh, create and score against Norwich a couple seasons ago. But he's not going to play the 10 because there are better players ahead of him in that position. So I think it just makes makes for a little murkier situation. And then you get into the situation of Arsene Wenger, you know, liking him a lot and believing in him. And, and is he going to contort the side to try to find a place for Jack? And we'll see more of that next season, I think. Um, but Wiltshire's best ever game yep, was against Barcelona. Barcelona game from deep. Yep. Not at the number ten spot. The, the difference that was, was a long fit. time ago. Yeah, but but I would I would yeah. also well, make... it, was, it was a long time ago when he was fully fit. Yes. And and so I'm going to hold with this when he's fully fit over a period of time, and it, it, it's kind of included in itself. But back to the old Jack, then you can say what he can't do. And I, I my you know what I thought Jack did is, better oh, than. Oh, sorry, he finish, can't go ahead. Do. Go ahead. Sorry, I'm sorry, Paul. That's it, really. When he's if, if and when he gets back to full fitness, at full speed, there is not much that Jack can't do with the ball at his feet. I agree. I'll say two things about that game and the old Jack, so to speak. I think he used to be smarter about releasing the ball quicker. He wants to take on one more man or carry the ball one more yard now than he did back then. You know, he That's was true. He was content to release the ball earlier. And the other thing about the Barcelona game in particular, we weren't on the front foot in that game. We were defending deep. So he could take that risk of beating his man because he had nine of his teammates behind the ball. What worries me about Jack if he plays deeper in midfield is you're not going to beat every man every time. And in our team, the way we defend with fullbacks, you know, pushing up the pitch, if Wilshire tries to beat a man every time, the times he doesn't beat his man we're going to be on the back foot and in real trouble. Um, I don't ha- think he'd be the last person who, or last player for the team who gets a hell of a lot smarter as he gets older, though. Yeah, I, I mean, look, let, let's uh, ultimately everybody would be happy to see Jack Wilshire come around and be a success. I, I just think what's a little murkier now is his path to regular first team football. So as it turns out, um, you know, obviously we didn't win the game, which looked like it was possible because Swansea were defending well, but we went and lost the game, and the way we did that was some immature defending and some really bad goalkeeping. So, Paul, stay with you for a second. If you had to rank for me which was worse, the defending for the cross and the header or the goalkeeping by Espina, which do you think is more to blame for the Gomi's goal? The f- defending for the cross. Really? Okay. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think some of these things look worse in, in slow motion as a keeper. Some of the reason you end up defending inside your net is just because the power of the shot and the only way you're going to meet it is to intersect it at that point. I don't disagree with that. The one thing is, if you do watch the replay, what you see is that as he's coming across his goal mouth, he takes a step backwards instead of directly across. And I think that put him too deep on his own line. But go on. Tell you what I do want to say. I, I want my money back from Michael Cox, that charlatan. Wow. Um, I, 
I read the uh, pre-match thing, and Swansea are the lowest uh, uh, team for tackles, for all sorts of shit, including crosses mm-hmm. in the league, and head, and I think headers and aerial duels. And yeah, we've got stuffed twice now. In fact, if you look at the last goal, Both there's two crosses involved in it. Predator, essentially. What's that? <laughs> Both by Predator in Gomis. Yeah, he is yeah, Predator, essentially. Yeah, I mean, well, so let me ask you this. You said you think it was the, the defending. Who's who's the person you're going to put the biggest onus on? Is it Nacho Monreal for, for giving Gomis an easy ride on the back stick? You know, I, I, I think you've heard me moaning a bit about how I used to complain about Monreal for not being robust enough and getting mugged mm-hmm. uh, too often. Uh, you know, uh, my whole thing was once a game, somebody's going to mug him. And I certainly had deja vu with that. I think it's a little harsh because he was almost stepping into Bale Koscielny out, who was... Koss got caught in no man's land a little bit, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, but still, I mean, Jesus, put your shoulder into his chest. Um, yeah. You know, there was a certain amount of letting two good crosses going across. And the first one wasn't great in that it, it cleared everybody, but... You know, not enough pressure on the ball coming in. I think it's one of those where you've got enough blame to give to a few people. We got ragged at the end. And the phrase of Wenger's of, if you're not going to win it, don't lose it. And naivety and taking Coughlin off, you know, you could kind of, I don't think you can blame the taking Coughlin off. But there was a certain amount of, if you're not going to win it, don't lose it. I would disagree in, in this case, only in the sense that, I don't know that one point or zero points in this game really makes much of a difference. I don't think that there was a tremendous downside to losing this game versus drawing it versus the upside of winning it um, and keeping that momentum rolling. So, you know, I'm I'm not sure it mattered a lot. But, I, you know, the other thing that I was encouraged by, this wasn't sort of our typical coughing up the game, Paul, in the sense that we didn't have 10 men in their half and get caught by one long ball over the top and be, you know, chasing back on a counterattack. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think we defended the cross well. I don't think we stopped the cross coming in well. I don't think we defended it well. And then I don't think Ospina did the job of goalkeeping very well to, to try to keep it out. Of course, you know, I don't think anybody thought it was a goal. Um, but, you, you know, I, I like goal line technology as much as you hate to see it go against you. I, you want to see the right decisions made. Naveen, for you, is that a defensive error, a goalkeeping error, or both? So, I mean, I'm not a goalkeeping coach, and looking at Fabianzi at Squansy, maybe we need to look into a goalkeeping coach. But um, the thing is, is I didn't like the way that play began before the ball got wide for the initial cross on the right. And you're thinking to yourself at that point, that's that's where Coquelin would be. So that's the trade-off right there, right? That Coquelin would have would have stopped that play or would have been, had a better chance to stopping, of stopping that play in the center of the pitch and say Cazorla or Ramsey, um, or I can't remember who was with Cazorla in the center of the pitch at the moment that play was going on. But yeah, that's, that's the kind of trade-off that you make. So for me, for, for me, right, it's about limiting the opportunities, not as much you know dealing with what happens when you give up an opportunity. So stopping attacks earlier is better than stopping them later, essentially. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think... You kind of miss Coughlin there. So that's what I would put it down to more or less because for me, I mean, crosses should be – I'm fine conceding conceding crosses and things like that. That's not that big of a deal. But eventually you give up enough of them or if you give up 
if you give up opportunities in the box, eh, something might go wrong against you. So I'd, I'd much, I'd look to stopping it at its source and, you know, just not being able to deal with that ball in the center of midfield and gain possession quicker. That would be my issue. So you, I mean, that's, but yeah, that's the trade-off. You kind of, you kind of throw off the balance a bit because for all of the good things that Ramsey does when Arsenal have possession, when Arsenal don't have possession, he's not exactly the dude you want in that role. No, he's not. And I think, I think his defensive work, sorry, I was just going to say, I think his defensive work is overestimated. Yeah, I mean, his defensive work is fine when he's in those kind of – so like last year or, or in 2012-13, the second half, when you're kind of sitting in a deeper block, it's a more compact shape, and he kind of is allowed to be – to kind of use his energy because there are other people around him who can kind of pick up if he makes a mistake, decision-making-wise or execution-wise. But when you're trying to cover more, you know, larger amounts of space and a more proactive side and a more possession-based side, that's when things get a little funky and uh, not great for, for Rambo. So, yeah, it's, it's one of those things, right? Coughlin has a lot of the things that you want when Arsenal don't have possession. Ramsey has a lot of things you want when Arsenal are in possession for that role. If only we could just figure out a way to just bring them together, Frankenstein or Doctor Frankenstein style. Right. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Frankenstein was the doctor. Frankenstein's monster was the monster. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> N- Naveen, really quickly to wrap up on the game: Is this a bad day at the office? Finishing maybe a little mental letdown ahead of a big game, a blip, nothing to worry about, or is this worrying sign that against a team that sits in a deep block? Arsenal still are vulnerable to some of the same old problems of too much lateral passing, don't know how to break them down, getting caught with the sucker punch. I mean, I think so. I think the problem comes down to just having that player that you try to play around in, around in possession, right? Not play through, but play in spite of. But I mean, like, like Paul said, you know, a couple of those chances go through. We win two nothing. Oh, okay. No big deal. Right. For me, like finishing second would have been nice. Now that's kind of, I mean, you know, Man City drop point can drop points randomly, but it's out of our control now. And if you lose the match at Old Trafford, then you're looking at fourth. So that's that's where that's where my concern is really right. Is this Old Trafford match because becomes a real big just don't lose, guys, because you know you don't want to you don't want to finish fourth. You don't want to finish fourth because of the qualifying match, especially with. A Copa America, you don't want to have to rush Alexis back or something like that for an important two-legged affair. You just you want to avoid that, and that's kind of, that's where my concern is that we could possibly finish fourth. What's your instinct going into the Old Trafford? I mean, do you like our chances, or or are you worried that I'm so uh... shallow? I, even even though we beat them in in a in, in a pretty nice performance in the FA Cup, I still have this. this you know, anytime you just go play Manchester, I still have this thing where it's just like, ah, we're going to find a way to screw this one up, guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think we all have that worry. It's just the one thing that I think has to be pointed out that I'm not sure enough people are paying attention to is that United aren't actually very good at football. So that, that may play into our That didn't stop them last year. <laughs> no, it didn't stop them last year. It didn't stop them when they beat us at our place despite being totally outplayed. I mean, it it really is amazing. And, and to be fair, they do have the best goalkeeper in the league, and he can, you know, if we can't score off Fabianski, 
you know, good luck against De Gea. Um, Real Madrid have a heck of a keeper coming to them. They do. They do. <laughs> and hopefully they're not sending Bale the other way in return. Um, uh, Paul, final thoughts. I mean, for you, is this just a little niggling concern of maybe we still don't know what to do against a team that defends deep and is organized? I mean, to, to be fair, no team, I mean, maybe Barcelona aside, is great at beating a team that sits in a deep defensive block and is organized. I mean, that is one of the harder things to do in football. But is this a little bit of a reminder that maybe we haven't put all those worries, you know, in those kinds of games behind us? Or for you, is this a bad day at the finishing office and a a blip in, in what continues to be a really nice run of form? Mainly a bad day at the finishing office. Um, but you know, you do want to think that coming into those last 10 or 15 minutes, you can mount the kind of bombardment, you know, kind of the way we remember Ferguson and United going into that last five or 10 minutes where you knew they, they could get a goal and probably two. Um, we've been good at other areas of the game and probably you could show me some statistics that, that show that we're pretty good in the last few minutes of getting goals, but it just doesn't feel like we can crank up that dial to kind of, uh, you know, warp factor going into that final phase and really polish it off. And it doesn't seem like we had a formula for it today. I mean, the, the even if it were a bit of a mistake to take off Giro and put Theo on, it still doesn't smack of whatever way you slice that. Um, it still doesn't smack of having a formula that we know how to win this thing. So that's the bit of a disappointment. Overall, you know, we've been on a really good run. I think Arson said something about if you play that game today 20 times, we'd have won at 19. Uh, I wonder what we all think of that. I, I, I don't think we would have won that, you know, 9 out of 10 times. I certainly think if we 20. played that game 20 more times, we wouldn't lose it 19 of the 20. I don't yeah. know that we would want it. And I'll say it like this. Look, I think we were playing brilliantly, and I have a feeling we could go to Old Trafford and really beat the hell out of them, at least on the balance of play. What worries me is if you said, all right, Elliot, I just saw that game. I just saw next week's game. Alexis didn't score. Do you think we won? I would say to you, I don't know who would get the goal then to win us that game. You know, I, I'm still not convinced that Giroud is a guy you can say if he's out on that pitch, there's a good chance he's going to score. I mean, he's been finishing and he's been getting goals over the last few months. I still think he is a problem that some defenses find relatively easy to solve. Defenses certainly like like Chelsea's, which had no trouble with him at all. Um, you know, if Alexis doesn't have that magic on the day, I don't know where our goals necessarily come from, and that would be my one worry. Ramsey kept, Ramsey kept by, like kept getting into good position and seemed to have really good ideas. He yeah. just kept ex- he just screwed up the execution a lot in the first half, and then the second half, some of the things came off. But if if he if he kind of keeps finding those those pockets, I mean, I'm I'm fine. I don't think Alexis has to score. I mean, I'm right. Like, I, where where do you think the goals come from, then, Naveen? I mean, if I told you we went to Old Trafford next weekend and we played them off the park, but Alexis didn't score. Who do you feel confident would get that goal, get that breakthrough? I mean, I'm confident in someone creating a chance for whoever whoever it happens to be, 
right? Whether it's Ramsey or whether it's Ozo or whether it's Kazorla. I mean, I don't know. Well, wait a minute. Uh, Kazorla cannot, he is not legally allowed to chance, put the ball. Score a chance. Right, okay. Kazorla is not legally allowed to put the ball in the net from open play. So create a chance, not score a chance. Okay. No, if he scored one from open play, particularly inside the box, that would be absolutely astounding. Yes, exactly. Because I can't, rem- I can't. I don't think that's ever. I happened. cannot remember the last time that's happened. I mean, <laughs> don't get me wrong; he's been brilliant, but that is that is a definite bizarre flaw from a very technical player. Um, okay. Well, quick predictions, Naveen. Score prediction for next weekend. Oh God. Um, I'm gonna say one-one. Okay, one-one. Over to you, Paul. Oh wait, wait. Who do you have winning that one, Naveen? Just kidding. <laughs> uh, Paul. Um. You know, I think 1-1 sounds right to me. I'm going to say 4-1 Arsenal. Wow. I think United are ripe for an absolute hiding. I I just, I mean, is Carrick going to be back? Do we know? What is, what is? No, he's not, I don't think. Well, I don't know that for sure, but based on what I read a couple of days ago, it didn't sound like he would be. Yeah, anyone have a quick view towards that at all? I mean, because. That that, that kind of screws up their ability to kind of actually build from the back because the that may lead to Herrera having to play deep and that kind of screws up their midfield a bit. So yeah, it's a, it's a blow. It's a blow. Cause ideally they have Carrick, they'd have Carrick behind and then kind of Herrera on that next vertical level to kind of help them kind of build up play that way. So it's a blow. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I think, um, I don't know. I, I just think they're ripe for, for getting absolutely taken apart. I think their defense has been getting it done with smoke and mirrors. You know, I, I think they, without Michael Carrick, they don't have that that solidity at the base of midfield. I think it's easy to play through the midfield. I think we still played well in possession Ruled today. Out for the season. Yeah, okay, there you go. So he's out. I mean, um, th- they don't have anyone reliably scoring goals for them right now. Uh, with Rooney sort of fading and Van Persie looks done and Falcao has been useless and Di Maria has been poor. We struggle with Fellaini, but other than Fellaini, I mean, that's that's a side right now that I, I think is, is ripe to be taken apart. And I, I you cannot convince me that Ashley Young and Antonio Valencia are good players. Um, so, look, I mean... I told you Alexis didn't score. Well, that's the question. I mean, if Alexis doesn't score, you know, Olivier Giroud has to step up and show that in the big games, and I know he has scored in some big games this season, that he can cause them trouble. What what worries me, too, is he has so little pace. And, you know, the way they defend, I think you can get behind their back four. But he's not a player who's going to get behind the back four. Uh, you know what? I'd almost go with Welbeck again, and the manager said he might be ready. So it'll be interesting to see if he says, you know what? It worked one time. Let's let's send him out at Old Trafford again. Um, look, we should leave it there uh, before we, we really delve into the rambling mess uh, um, part of the pod. But I, That's I think a different podcast, right? The, the rambling. Football, football. The football <laughs> rambling mess. <laughs> Something like that. We could just rename <laughs> this pod that. I, I really want to thank you guys for coming on, though. I mean, you know, th- th- this pod sort of like the game and, and the last couple of games has sort of an end-of-season end feeling to it where – you don't know what to make of the performance. You don't know if it means a lot or a little. I, I said a couple weeks ago, and I stand by this, our season comes down to two games, Old Trafford and the Cup Final. And so no one will be thinking back to this loss if we beat Man United next weekend. Let's hope we have the, the, the energy and the enthusiasm and the focus and the drive to do it. If our finishing is just a little better, uh, I certainly think we can. Um, Naveen, I want to thank you, first of all, for coming on 
and providing the insights uh, that you do on Twitter. And for anyone who's not following you on Twitter, they should. It's NJM1211, correct? That's right. NJM1211. Uh, Naveen, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, the pleasure has certainly been all yours. Um, and Paul, uh, I mean, you're here, so there's that. Uh, you can follow Paul at Poznan in my pants, um, but it's his pants, but it's Poznan in my pants. Paul, um, as always, you were here. Woohoo! <laughs> and we thank you for it. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Strongly recommend you do it. Wouldn't read any of my tweets from today as they were absolute rubbish, as were Arsenal in the final adjudication. But... Next weekend, Old Trafford, very, very important to win to keep the real momentum going to really convince that we can get it done in the big games. And we will be back with a podcast following that game uh, regardless of the result. We hope you'll join us then. Until then, enjoy the second leg of the Champions League semifinals. As I always recommend, put your hand over one side of the screen and pretend it's Arsenal playing in the game. We'll talk to you next week. Cheers.